Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cosmic Connection. This is the place where we explore the order and the beauty of the cosmos and your connection to it all. My name is Amanda Poole Walsh. I'm the founder of Astrology Hub. I am here with our favorite cosmic navigator, Rick Merlin Levine. And Rick, there's some serious excitement brewing about the chart reading extravaganza that we're having in August. Yeah, I love that word extravaganza. <laughs> Again, I'm amazed that we were able to sneak that in and that y'all seem to love it as well. So we're running with it. If you haven't yet signed up, which I know a lot of you have, but if you haven't signed up for the chart reading extravaganza in August, where Rick is going to be on every Thursday in August, reading two students' charts live, reading the person, interpreting the placements, the aspects, all those good things, and also explaining to you, the student, why he is saying what he's saying, you can sign up now. Well, and, and, and just remember that it's not just an interpretation. We can do that of famous people or famous dead people. The, the real magic is going to be that you'll see on the screen, like you're seeing you and me now, you'll see me and the person whose chart's being done, and I'll be interacting with them as if I was interacting with a client in my office, as they will be interacting with me. But at the same time, then I'll turn to the audience, to the group, to the other viewers and say, here's why we're going down this path. Now, Amanda, how does that work for you? So there'll be this kind of triangulation. And as I've said before, the magic of these when the magic is there and hopefully it is every time um, is that you can't script it because right. these are real people having their charts done real time. Um, and you just never know what, what, what's going to be under the rock that you lift up. And mm. we've had some, you know, and I've been doing this or a variation on this um, with, with my uh, patrons and on Patreon, and you just don't know what you're going to get into It's You know, it's, it's powerful stuff. So I'm excited for it. And yeah, the buzz out there, I'm getting a lot of email and text messages. People seem to be really excited. And, you know, one of the sweetest things I got was a post on Instagram today that was just a, um, it was, praising and it was basically praising me but it really is it shouldn't be for me it should be for you in astrology hub and that was um they were praising the fact that the cost was not um in the same range as many other online courses are that it, basically it was an i'm signing up but there are so many courses that come and go that i can't do because i just don't have that kind of money and i'm just really appreciative of that you've made it really accessible you know mm. so Yes. Yeah. Well, that actually is a reflection of you as well, because you've been very committed to making sure that astrology foundations level one, level two, and then now this version of level three is accessible and that as many people as possible can take these these courses and, and the different things that we're offering together. So, right. But we decided to call it level 3.14 in reference to pi being 3.14 and a horoscope. We're reading horoscopes is in the shape of a pie cut into 12 pieces. Exactly. Exactly. But if people missed it last week, that we talked about that in depth last week. So, um, yeah. it, it, again, it's not too late to join there. It, the first session is August 5th, 2021. And you can join us at astrologyhub.com slash extravaganza. That's astrologyhub.com slash extravaganza. And if you're watching this after August 5th or after August of 2021, you can still go to that link and access the recordings from that event. 
So we're excited to have as many with you, uh, as many of you with us live as possible. The other thing is there won't be any cosmic connections in August because we'll That's be doing right. the chart reading. This will be the cosmic extravaganza instead. Yeah. And the and the other thing that people should realize that if you can't make Thursday afternoons at 5 p.m. Pacific time or 8 p.m. Eastern time, which is when the live uh, uh, event will occur, um, it no problem because within 24 hours, it will be up and available to you forever. So it's not like you have to be there live unless your chart was selected. Um, and we're going to be going through that selection process soon, picking out charts that resonate and have teaching value. So it's, you know, yeah, it's going to be fun. Okay. And I can feel the like, oh no, did I miss the place where I was supposed to miss to submit my chart? No, nope. you haven't missed it. We haven't uh, sent the email out yet to the people who have registered. So don't worry. The email is going to come soon. Make sure you submit your chart as like as soon as possible because we will be looking at the charts as they come in and Rick will be selecting them. So the sooner you get your chart in, the better your chance is of being selected. Yeah, also, and if you attach a $50 bill to your email, that okay. <laughs> No, no. Okay, also, if you're a student in Astrology Foundations Level 1 or 2, you also have a much better chance of being selected for one of the students whose charts are being read. And no, you don't have to submit your chart. So if you're one of those people going, oh my gosh, I would, I would never want my chart read live in front of a bunch of people, you don't have to submit your chart. You'll be one of the people in the audience. You'll be learning from Rick as he goes along. So, okay, I think we covered everything. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, okay. I think so. Okay, chart, uh, astrologyhub.com slash extravaganza. Easy yeah. to remember. Okay, so today we are talking about something that we get asked about all the time, Rick. I, I uh, surveyed our inner circle members and asked them what they wanted to learn about from you. And asteroids was one of the biggest things that was requested. People want to know which asteroids you use, why you use them, how to use asteroids in chart reading, which I'm sure we'll go into a little bit in August as well. But I just want to like set the stage here today and give you a chance to talk about it. Yeah. Well, before we jump into the topic, I'm, I've always been curious as to, I think when they named them, I think they miss. I, I think I think they flipped asteroids and hemorrhoids because asteroids seem like they should mean something else, but I don't know. <laughs> Rick, only you. I don't, has anybody else had that thought? I've never had that thought. That's amazing. Okay. Yeah, I, well, I, I have it every day. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, you know, the thing about asteroids, which is really interesting, is that for... I don't know how many thousand years, 3,000, 5,000, 6,000 years, astrologers only used seven visible planets, seven planets. And they were the, and of course, when we used, when we astrologers use the word planets, we are using it in the Greek sense of a planeta. Uh, planetus is a, a, a wanderer. And so the sun and moon were considered planets and just like I always remind my students that we don't give a crap what the uh, astronomers uh, call a planet, whether they have demoted Pluto or not, it doesn't matter. We call the sun and moon planets, and that's just part of the um, classical vernacular. But, you know, um, for thousands of years, we got by with the sun, the moon, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. Boom, seven. That, that was it. 
And it was only in the late 18th century, 1780-something, um, 1781, I think, um, that Uranus was discovered, and then Neptune in the 19th century and Pluto in the 20th century. But as we began discovering things, um, it's unbelievable how many things are going around the sun. Uh, NASA tracks upwards to a million objects going around the sun. And so for those of us who just think it's, you know, the sun, moon, Mercury, or, or the Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, and maybe, you know, a few asteroids and a few other things. No, there's hundreds of thousands of things. And, um, and, and so really, before we jump into the use of specific asteroids, the real question is, where do we cut off? Where, what what is important and what is not important? Um, and 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 I think here the most important thing to understand is that the cosmos is by nature, and 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 it's a double entendre of using that word nature. By nature, it is fractal. That's what nature is. Nature is literally by nature. It is fractal. And what that means is that wherever you're looking, you're seeing you're seeing um, a, a pattern that is contained within a smaller pattern, smaller and smaller. And and what that means is that if you do a reading uh, and I've I've done like flash readings for people just knowing their sun or their sun, moon and ascendant, um, you can do that. But it's like um, a, a hologram, and that is if you have a hologram, which is like a three-dimensional uh, um, representation, I want to say photograph, but it's not really a photograph, that's done with lasers, that when you have a hologram on a flat piece of glass and you move it back and forth, you get some three-dimensionality to it. But if you take a hologram and break it in half, both halves have the same picture just with a little less definition. And if you break it in half again and again and again, each part of the hologram contains the whole image. And so when we're doing astrology, it's important to understand that whatever level we put the power of our microscope on, we're like looking at a hologram that is giving us a part of the whole picture and that will never have all the details. Um, and so that's an important thing to understand before we even address what asteroids we use, because there are traditional astrologers who do not use or who put a much lesser value on using Uranus, Neptune and Pluto because they're invisible. Now, we could have a separate hour long discussion on how the advent of uh, the advent of the use of invisible planets is actually um, correlated to the fact that our world, our reality, what we describe as real, has become more and more and more and more and more invisible. It used to be going back 250 years that if you couldn't see it, it didn't exist, period. Uh, oh, I mean, things existed because they were sensed, and we've moved beyond that. Hmm. Rick, do you are you of the mindset that certain planets and asteroids and things come into our awareness 
when we're ready to expand into whatever the energy or message or invitation of that planet or asteroid is. Yeah, the um, as above, so below, the within of things is as the without of things. When something happens on the inside, it happens simultaneously on the outside. When mm. something happens on the outside, it simultaneously happens on the inside. I wouldn't say that we discover it when we're ready. I would say that the inner and outer discover discoveries arise mutually. You know, remember, as, as you know, and as most of my students know, um, I'm a strong proponent of the use of quintiles and septiles. Well, quintiles were introduced into astrology by Johannes Kepler four, 500, uh, 1600, 400 years ago. But no one ever really used them, or very few people. Now they are gaining widespread use. Why? Because they've come into our inner world, and it was a prophet, or not a prophet, but a visionary who could actually um, see them. So yes, absolutely, the inner and the outer arise mutually. um, And when we discover um, new ways of looking at things on the outside, it's because we need ways to describe what's going on on the inside. Mm, Okay. So you've, you've set us off, set us up with this hologram analogy and uh, you ask the question, so if there's all these things floating around, where do we cut it off? Where do we start the interpretation and the interpretation? And as I said, there are astrologers typically, um, what's the right word? Um, um, radical isn't the word I'm looking for. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, ex- um, extreme. There's a, a strict um, classicists, um, you know, who will only use the Hellenistic, you know, the Greek, um, or for that matter, Vedic astrologers, because in Vedic astrology, technically, um, the Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto don't matter. Now, most Vedic, most modern Vedic astrologers, at least here in the United States, um, also use Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto, because it just takes doing a few charts to realize that, you know, Pluto or Uranus has as much import in a natal chart Um, as does the visible planets. But remember, when those invisible planets were discovered by use of technology telescopes, at first they were all considered to be mm, radical, bad, evil, non-integratable, out there. They they all were, they were were something else. And that's not the case anymore. And that, that shift in thinking is really really important and 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 the um you know the real deal you know here is that um you know again getting back to johannes kepler he actually wrote in i think it might have been his mysterium cosmographicum um he actually um hypothesized a planet between the between Mars and Jupiter. And there's this whole thing called Bode's Law, which has to do with the mathematics and, and that the planets basically fall on this ratio. And um and and yet everyone knew there was a large gap between Mars and Jupiter. Um and um uh but when Uranus was discovered, it actually was discovered at the exact point in its distance from the sun that this curiosity that Kepler stumbled onto would have predicted. So there's something here um, about these ratios. And it is said 
that when um, I think it was, God, I wish I'd done more. Um, I, I, I think it was in, in, in like 1800 um, that um, the first of the asteroids was discovered. Um, and that, that was Ceres. Um, and, and then within a few years, there were several more asteroids, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> Several more asteroids discovered, including Pallas and Juno and Vesta and 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 others, but these asteroids were now located in the area that was predicted by Bode's law, which said there should have been a planet there, which leads many people to assume that what we call the asteroid belt is actually the fragments of a planet that once existed between Mars and Jupiter and was destroyed, whether it was by an impact of a large event or whether the civilization of intelligent beings living there developed nuclear weaponry and blew the planet up. I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying something exploded this and fragmented it into what we now call the asteroid um, belt. And so there's this geometric kind of consistency to the planets. But, but you know, here's the interesting thing. When Ceres was discovered, <clears throat> it was immediately called um, a planet. A new planet was discovered. And then when Pallas was discovered, it was also said another new planet. Oh, my God, they're all over the place. And it was only as they began to realize that there was many of these objects planetoids, little planets floating around in this area between Jupiter and between Mars and Jupiter, um, that they began to realize that these weren't planets, that this was something else. And, um, and, and the asteroids were actually given um, uh, numbers based upon their order of discovery. Um, and at first they were named after, um, they were given feminine names, which is, we'll, and we'll get to that in a moment, the importance of asteroids as, as, um, as goddesses. Um, but, uh, you know, as you began to get more and more and more, um, they ran out of names. And so there are now names of not only male um, asteroid, uh, female asteroids, but male asteroids. But as time went on, Asteroids were named after everything. There's an asteroid named Hamburger. There's an as asteroid, you know, named Pittsburgh. There's an asteroid named Doodoo. I mean, you, they, they're just, I mean, because there are about 10,000 asteroids with names. Whoa. What the, okay. So do you use asteroids? Yeah. Every chart I calculate, I calculate the um, 10 planets that we all use plus 10,000 asteroids. <laughs> Not. So do we just use the ones that were found first? Is that really what's happening here? Well, that's an interesting um, story. Um, and I'm going to, uh, and, and we'll get there in just a second, but I, I just want to mention two things on the way into this. One is that one of the, um, one of the um, uh, conclusions, one of the conclusions that we, have to grapple with that came from the development of quantum theory is this idea of non-locality, which basically says that things do not have to be close to one another 
in order for them to be connected, in order for them to have an interrelationship. And um, and I want to cycle back to that in a moment because it's important when people say, oh, no, I don't use asteroids. They're just too many. And I there are many astrologers who don't use asteroids. It's just, where do you, again, where do you stop? Um, in fact, um, the um, uh, the person who I like to refer to as the academic dean of astrology on planet Earth, that would be Rob Hand. Um, Rob Hand um, refers to asteroids as space gravel. Huh. <laughs> so <laughs> there's someone who's coming from a class. And I'm not, I'm not saying that Rob says that they have no use or no value, but it's the idea that it's like when you go to a beach, do you you does every pebble on the beach have have impact? Well, if there's a sharp pebble that you happen to step on and it cuts your foot open, you get tetanus and die. Well, then that little tiny pebble had a huge impact. Hmm. Uh, so so yeah. we, we have to be careful about dismissing, I believe, what some people would refer to as space gravel. Now, the other thing about non-locality um, brings me to something that I really can't pass over on our discussion of, of asteroids. And it has to do with a book that hugely influenced my life back in, and I want to get a sense of, I don't even see it, think it says when it was actually published, but I'm thinking it was about 19... Mm, seven, 1973 or four or something in there. And that is this book right here, which is called Astrophysical Directions. And it's by um, Michael and Margaret Erlewine. And I know you had Michael Erlewine on uh, your podcast a few weeks ago. And, um, uh, and Michael was an extremely important influence in my early astrology. Um, in fact, uh, <laughs> I, I, I visited him back in when he was still down in Ann Arbor at Heart Center Books before he moved up, up north with Matrix Software. Um, um, but this book, Astrophysical Directions, is simply a book of tables. It's just lots and lots and lots of data. Oh. And what it is, it's a um, it, it, it's the actual location from Earth's point of view um, out in the sky of, I'm just trying to give you a sense, of not only the planets and their orbital data, but asteroids, meteors, comets, um, the nearest stars, the local star system, um, the, the locations of the various spiral arms of the galaxy, um, and then things like not only um, uh, about 800 fixed stars those that are named, those are, that's like the 10,000 named asteroids, of which there are probably more like, um, I've, I've heard, 40 to 100,000 asteroids um, but it doesn't matter over, you know, over 10,000 to me is too many. Um, but in astrophysical directions, you can actually locate in your chart where there's galactic nebula or, or, or star clusters or Seifert galaxies, external galaxies, radio sources, black holes, um, quasars, pulsars. So the thing is, and, and, and this is really mind blowing. I spent, 
I spend a year or so down this rabbit hole really deep. And it, because once you accept that non, non-locality is, 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 a, is a rule, it's something that works, we think that, oh, the moon is so important because it's so close to Earth. But anyone who's had a transit of Pluto conjuncting their sun or moon, or anyone who's born with Pluto in a hard aspect to an inner planet, uh, knows that the moon is just a little bit of a wimp compared to the intensity and power of Pluto. Mm -hmm. So the idea that close doesn't mean always doesn't mean more important. Now, if you take that at its fullest, what that means is if you were born with Venus lined up with a quasar or Mars lined up with a um, with the Andromeda galaxy or a close star like Alpha Centauri or an asteroid or, 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 it changes the whole picture that we're working with just the tip of an iceberg. And, you know, I grew up knowing what that meant until I saw a picture of an iceberg with a tip and I went, holy shit. I had no idea. (laughs) I just thought that, you know, yeah, I just, you know, so anyone who's, if you've never seen a picture of an iceberg with the tip, it's something worth looking at. It's, it's, you know, it's like, it's like looking at the city, you know, of Tulsa, Oklahoma, thinking that you've seen the United States. That's Mm -hmm. the the difference in size. So going into it real quick, Rick, before you move on beyond Michael. I had a vision of having you and Michael on the podcast together. Wouldn't that be so fun? Yeah, I enjoy I, I enjoy Michael's company a, um, a lot. Um, and he is, um, if Rob Hand is the academic dean of, uh, of astrology, she, what would Michael's title be? Uh, you know, Michael is much more um, on the ground where the rubber meets the road. Right. Although Michael, Michael is a true polymath. You know, he's, you know, he's not only uh, contributed hugely um, to astrology knowledge, but of course he was a pioneer in computers and astrology. I mean, he was the absolute singular. Yeah. Yeah. He was the singular leader in that, but he also is an authority and an expert and has written books on macro photography and his, his love of music. You know, uh, most people, when they go online and search for a book or a song, I mean, sorry, sorry um, a, a song or use Shazam, they don't realize that they're accessing something that's a corollary of what Michael developed called the all music, um, all music library, the all music something or other. And I mean, he he had a compendium of every piece of recorded music ever that he then sold that until he had money to put into wow. his astrology work. But wow. no, Michael, Michael is amazing. And I totally, you know, respect and, and honor him. And I should also say, as long as we're on the subject in passing that Jeff Jower, uh, many people know is um, um, deceased now, I guess about five, five years or so um, was for 15 plus years Jeff and I worked together on a daily basis, uh, developing StarIQ.com and writing eight years of Barnes and Noble books and teaching around the world and doing a daily podcast. We did a daily podcast every day for 14 years. Oh, my God. Um, 
that Jeff actually worked for Michael. He actually moved up to Big Rapids, Michigan, and was customer support. So the Michael's thing in my life is 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 big. So we got totally sidetracked there. We but totally did. I'm sorry. It just when you were bringing him up, I, I literally was going back and forth with him on Facebook Messenger the other day, and I was like, Rick and Michael together. That would be so much fun. Okay, so no, go and, back. So we have, we and, have all- and I loved your and I loved your interview with him. Um, and I would suggest anyone here who's listening to this go find the podcast. Maybe Jamie or someone could put figure out what the number is and um, put it put it up there because it it, it it was just it was a brilliant interview and and you really did a nice job of um, of of honoring someone who should be honored. Mm, thank you, thank you for that. Um, okay. so, so, so we were talking about all the different. I mean, the, so all so I'm saying is is that when we go into looking at asteroids, um, even if we're only using four asteroids, and many astrologers only use four asteroids, mm-hmm. but even that's now begun to disintegrate, and um, and and um, there was, um, I, I mean, pretty much asteroids were not used by astrologers. Um, there weren't, you couldn't find where they were. Um, and it really was, and I'm using Demetra George, who I'll say more about in a moment. Um, and for those of you who recognize Demetra's name, um, she wrote the workbook that we used in foundations level two. Um, and Demetra is one of the amazing teachers on the planet. Um, not only with respect to asteroids, pioneering work, um, but also with respect to um, Hellenistic astrology in general. Um, but according to Demetra, that it was 1973 when there was the first asteroid ephemeris. Remember, there were no computers then for calculating. And so that ephemeris had Ceres, Pallas, Juno, and Vesta. And that was... Um, basically the product of the work of a New York astrologer uh, and leader in, or pioneer even, um, in uh, asteroids, and that was Eleanor Bach. Um, and, um, and so the thing is that there were several other people who began to work in that area, um, and, um, uh, and, and then uh, when Chiron was discovered, that, and that was like, I think, in 72, 73, and then when Chiron was discovered in 1977, I only remember that because that was the year my daughter was born, um, um, that was immediately put into the various ephemerises, ephemerides. Um, and, um, and then um, uh, Lee Lehman jumped in and there was a publication of um, an ephemeris of minor asteroids um, and, um, and, and so it began a whole bunch of work of a lot of astrologers then began, began, um, jumping in. But the, the second piece of this asteroid puzzle was that in 1980, Demetra George wrote this book. And for those of you who were in foundations level two, I think maybe even in level one, I mentioned this, but we went deeper into this in level two. Demetra George um, wrote this book called The Asteroid Asteroid Goddesses, and this really became the Bible for people who wanted to get into asteroids. Um, and, uh, and I'll say more about this in just a moment. 
Um, but then there was a program developed by Mark Pottinger um, that generated uh, positions for I don't know how many thousand asteroids. And that program was made available to the public. And all of a sudden, boom, asteroids was off and running. Um, work was done on, uh, on Chiron, turned into books um, by people like Barbara Han Clough, who I know you had on recently as, on an interview, Melanie Reinhardt, who's a um, brilliant astrologer and a um, dear friend, um, and m many other people. And then there were people that came along like Jacob Schwartz, um, who his research was absolutely encyclopedic at, when it came to like strange little, I don't want to say little things, but, you know, okay, so there's an asteroid named Sachs, S-A-X. Um, Bill Clinton played the saxophone. He only played it publicly once in his whole life, and it was while he was running for president. Arsenio Hall asked him if he would play saxophone live on the, uh, on the Arsenio Hall, Hall show. And for those of you who are younger, that was like one of the late night talk shows. Um, and he did. And on the night that he played saxophone on nationally televised TV, the asteroid sax was conjuncting, the transiting asteroid sax in real time was conjuncting his natal, Bill Clinton's natal son. Not saying that proves anything, but it's pretty crazy. And there's a thousand stories like that when you wow. get into these minor aspects that shouldn't mean anything. And I mean, there's an aspect, uh, there's an asteroid uh, probably named Amanda. There's ones named Rick Fred. There's, um, there's an asteroid named Merlin. Why is it um, conjunct my midheaven? I don't know. There's an asteroid named Atlantis. It's on my ascendant. Why? I don't know. These things may be totally unimportant, hmm. but I do know. And I've told this story Many times, I think I even told it in level two, that when I had um, Demetri George was staying at my home many, many years ago, 25, 25 years ago, um, and, um, and she offered to look at my chart. And it was one of the most memorable chart readings I ever had because we sat down at my dining room table and she had all of her calculations. And she told me the story um, um, of, um, of Icarus and Daedalus. Um, uh, Icarus, the inventor, um, uh, I'm sorry, um, uh, Daedalus, the inventor who was, uh, uh, the story's too long, but he was basically put uh, in a labyrinth that he couldn't get out of on an island um, there with his son. And he basically, because he was this brilliant inventor, he got wings that were from flying, ber birds flying overhead. He built his son wings so his son could escape and he warned him not to go too close to the sun or the wax would melt and he would drown and not to go too close to the ocean because the moisture would blah 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 and she told me this whole story in great detail because it turns out that i have a sun moon square in my chart natally and the planet daedalus is i'm sorry the asteroid daedalus is conjunct my sun and icarus is conjunct my moon so they are square in my chart and I never had a more meaningful reading in my entire life. It was just the story of Icarus and Daedalus. Wow. Again, what the hell? So the reason why I'm spending time on this on the front end is because I'm trying to paint a picture that 
um, that the amount of asteroid research that's been done recently, um, you know, I say recently in the past 20, 30 years is amazing. And, and the stories are amazing. And, and, and now there's computer software that'll generate um, Zodiac positions um, for over 15, I think it's maybe 15 to 20,000 asteroids. And so you can't use them all because it's like pebbles on a beach. It's, it's not even like pebbles. It's like grains of sand. There's just way, way too much. And so we have more data than we've ever had. And the question is, where do we cut off? And, and here's what I want to say. If you don't use asteroids and you've never used asteroids, it does not mean, I know double negative here, it doesn't mean that your readings are lacking. Because the universe, the cosmos is fractal. And depending upon what we look at, that gives us the pattern that then is replayed and replayed, corroborated at every level that we look deeper and deeper and and deeper. Now, it turns out that most astrologers use the, um, use the asteroids that Demetra George used in her Asteroid Goddess book. Um, which was uh, basically um, uh, uh, Juno Ceres, Pallas, or Pallas Athene, or Pallas Athena, um, um, and um, um, and and what am what am I missing? Juno. Oh, and Ceres. Juno Ceres, um, Pallas, and Vesta. I was missing Vesta. Hope she forgives me. I was surprised to learn, however, that these four. Um, asteroids, which most astrologers will use at the beginning, um, were not the four largest asteroids. Um, in, in, in fact, um, it, it turns out that, um, uh, that, let me just think which one this is, that, that Ceres is the largest, Vesta is the second largest, Pallas is the third largest. Hygieia is the fourth largest asteroid. And then comes Europa and um, Interamnia and, and Sylvia and, and, I don't know, Patientia, Hector. Juno is 13th. <laughs> so why the hell are we using four asteroids, the three largest, and Juno, which almost everyone who's doing asteroids uses, because Juno is the 13th largest asteroid. And it turns out that the reason is that these four asteroids were named after the four Olympian goddesses, Ceres, Vesta, Pallas, and Juno. And this had a lot to do with Demetra George's early work and what became part of a much larger wave, certainly larger than Demetra ever thought it might be, and that is the wave of the refeminization of astrology. I've said many, 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 many times um, here and other places that astrology was largely written by guys for guys. I mean, it was kept alive in the monasteries by the priests. It was um, done for you know, kings and emperors and when they should go to war and, and, and important things like that. I mean, women didn't do astrology. They weren't even allowed to read or write, no less do complex mathematics. And, you know, and on top of that, 
um, you know, doing charts for women. You'd only do that if they were, if the, the king or the duke or the emperor said, you know, here's this, uh, um, you know, person who I'm thinking of making queen, what's, what's her fortune, you know? And, and so in some ways it's still used similarly by people who go to their astrologer to get a chart done for every new person they meet and are considering to, you know, to uh, date or marry or whatever. Um, but the four main, when people say the four main astrologer, astrologer, <laughs> When people say the four main asteroids, they're normally referring to the four asteroid goddesses rather than the four main asteroids, which would be, if you were talking about size mattering, it would be Ceres, Vesta, Pallas, and Hygieia. Now, it turns out that most of the modern astrology software now actually has Hygieia in the mix because it's it's large enough and, and, and because it's health related, it seems like that's something that people want to know about. Um, <clears throat> but where you cut off is really your decision. Um, Solar fire allows you, I think it automatically will plot, I think about 20 or so asteroids, um, including psyche. And some of them seem to have meanings that are, um, are, that are more um, immediately graspable by concept, um, and um, and and some kind of sit outside that that realm. It's an area of of huge potentially important research. Um, but here's one other thing to consider before we just delve down a little bit deeper into the four um, or or five as, um, asteroids that most people use, is that originally an asteroid was anything that wasn't a planet. If it wasn't a planet, well, that meant it was an asteroid. And yet it turns out that there are really three different mm, groupings um, of what might be considered asteroids. And that is the, the, the asteroids that are in what we call the asteroid belt, those that travel between the orbit of um, Mars and Jupiter. But when Chiron was discovered in 1977, um, and Chiron actually cuts inside the orbit of Saturn and goes outside the orbit of Uranus, and, and it immediately became em embraced and used by astrologers. At first, they said it was an asteroid, and then they said, no, maybe it's a comet. Oh, maybe it's some sort of just lesser mi minor planet. Um, but within 10 or 15 years... Um, Pholos was discovered in Nessus and, um, and as Bolos and, and Hylonomy and Chariklo. And they were all things that were moving in that same area of space in effect between Saturn and Uranus. And they weren't asteroids. So they've become labeled, um, centaurs and they're all named for centaurs. Um, Chiron is unique when it comes to centaurs because he was uh, he was one of the centaurs that actually wasn't a party animal. And most people think of Chiron as the wounded healer. Chiron was the original mentor. Chiron basically taught Asclepius and Jason of the Ar Jason of the Argonauts, and I mean he was the the teacher. But but these things all are used by astrologers, even though many only use Chiron. There are many astrologers who use and have written books and, and work with the other um, uh, centaurs also. But then the third area, when we're talking about non-planets that we use, 
um, asteroids is the um, area that we call the Kuiper Belt, um, which the Kuiper, Pluto is about 2 billion miles from the sun. And the Kuiper Belt extends about 7 billion miles out past um, out, out past there, about 6, 7 billion miles. And so um, early in the 21st century, we discovered just a pile one after another of, 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 of planets or of things that were way out beyond, um, beyond Pluto, um, including Eris, which many astrologers are using for the same reason that many astrologers use um, the four asteroid goddesses. And that is Demetra wrote a book about it and people could read it and interpret them and, and understand them. Well, Henry Seltzer wrote a book about um, Eris called the 10th planet and, um, and in it, he makes a, a very powerful case for using Eris in a birth chart. Um, but there's Orcus and Hamea and Make Make and, and Varuna and Ixion and who am I missing? Sedna and a whole pile of others that don't have names yet. And the point is that these two <laughs> have impact. And I know for many new astrologers, this is like, totally overwhelming. Well, fine, go back and use only seven planets. Don't even use Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto for a while. Then add Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto, and then add an asteroid or three or four or five. And then as you look at charts, especially for those who have access um, to the computer, most astrologers do, whether it's your own software or even on um, um, Astrodeans, Astro.com, um, has, um, their ephemeris, ephemeris, um, has locations of, um, more asteroids than you can deal with and you can pick the variety of what you want actually calculated and just begin, begin your process of discovery. So that's kinda, as far as I'm concerned, when we're talking about asteroids, rather than talking about what series in the um, 12th house in Gemini means, I think it's more important to understand how does this fit into the bigger framework. If we truly believe that as above, so below, the within and the without are the same, then we can't shirk from the conclusion that everything up there has meaning, just like everything in here has meaning. And so that's a really important thing to grapple with. And, and I think more than anything, when we're talking about asteroids, that's the thing that we need to understand. De, um, Descartes was wrong. Descartes said, if I have enough data points, I can tell you everything about the universe. And, and that Cartesian coordinates come from Descartes. Um, and it's just not true. The more we know, the more we realize there's more to know and there's, there's more that we don't know. Mm. I thought this would be a simple topic with <laughs> <laughs> some simple answers <laughs> as usual. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. So basically we're 47 minutes in and what we've done is established that there's over 10,000 asteroids. Well, there's 400,000 asteroids. Exactly, probably 400,000. There's there's lots of different kinds. There's the, these asteroids that are between the Mars and Jupiter, the asteroid belt ones. There's these centaurs, which are outside of that area. I can't remember exactly where you said. Between, between um, Saturn and Uranus. And technically, 
we've now we don't call them asteroids anymore. We call them centaurs. Centaurs, right? Yeah. And, then and then we there's have the these Oort Kuiper Belt ones. Yeah, these, these the Oort Belt. Oort Belt or Kuiper Belt or Cloud. Okay. All right, and and within within these different areas, there's asteroids that we've decided to use and interpret. Exactly. Mainly, mainly what I'm getting from you is we're, we're using and interpreting the ones that people have written books about, which- Pluto, Pluto. you know, Pluto is not any different. In fact, Eris is larger than Pluto in size. So yeah, go ahead. Wow, yeah, I mean, yeah. so basically the, the ones that people have written books about that they've done extensive research on that we have some information we can use, these are the ones that are mainly being used in astrology right now. That's not to belittle the fact that they actually seem to have impact and can actually right. really lend another layer of interpretation to the reading, which only opens up the mystery of what the heck is astrology in the first place even more. You know, and what is this universe? It just opens up even more questions because it's like we can find meaning and correlation and correspondence and and quality, useful information. It seems like everywhere we look. Every, everywhere we look. Everywhere we look. And 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 just to pull this back into context, I mean, the actual. So when I see a new client, I typically. I would say 50% of the time I don't calculate the asteroids on a first time client. Why? Because I already have so much to go on that I can't even integrate that. Now, if I see a client a second or third time, or for some clients, I just happen to have asteroids on. And if they're there, I go, oh, my, oh, holy smokes, this person, you know, has um, Juno um, conjunct there. What you know, and, and all of a sudden my mind goes down that. And in some cases, it's like not every client that I see do I talk about quintiles or septiles. Not right. every client I see do I talk about Chiron. But if Chiron stands out, it stands out. But by the same token, the same would be th true with you know um, with Chiriclo or or other centaurs. Um, the same is true with Eris these days. I have Eris turned on on my calculations now. So I see it. But when I talk to a client, unless Eris stands out in the chart somehow, I don't necessarily mention it. But when it comes to the four or five main asteroids, it's really quite simple. And, 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 and I don't feel like we need to go into it here now. We could on another session, actually. But there's so much information out there. I mean, Ceres comes from the word, the word serial comes from Ceres. Ceres is the it's 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 like a super moon that's a real planet. Well, she's not a real planet, but um, it uh, uh, it's going around the sun rather than around the Earth. Ceres is the nurturer. Ceres is um, is is the goddess of the grain that feeds us. The word cereal is is Ceres. It's it's Ceres is um, that which feeds us and nurtures us. And, and cares for us. Um, Pallas um, is it, it also feminine, but 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 she's like Pallas is kind of. I always think of her as a masculine Venus. She, I, um, she's not masculine. Um, it, it, I mean, gender wise, Pallas is a goddess, 
And her symbol, the symbol for Pallas, looks like Venus, except instead of a circle on the top, it has a square. And it's I always think of Pallas as as the eldest daughter who's doing the father's business. She's the executive carrying the briefcase, you know, but she's the she's the she's like um, Angelina Jolie in some movie where she's running a multi-million dollar, you know, corporation that's taking over the world and she's dressed in a business suit, but she's feminine, but you don't want to mess with her because she's, she's got, she's got work to do. She's a warrior. Pallas is a warrior. And then Juno, who's really the queen of Olympus. Um, Juno was, um, was Jupiter's wife. And and this is a bit interesting because although Juno in our charts often represent that part of us that might, it's the marriage planet in a way, but Juno, basically Juno was the good wife and she was married to, to Jupiter, who was maybe the most philandering of all the Olympians. I mean, you know, Jupiter would go off on these adventures and and conquering, and they would often involve sexual escapades, you know, with other women and and young boys and and goats and you know, and and Juno was the faithful wife. She was always there. She kept the household. She was she was always there. Now, occasionally, she did get jealous and maybe turned a couple of Jupiter's lovers into stone and things of that sort. But Juno is, is still, she, she's the queen. And then Vesta um, from, we, we think of Vesta as in relationship to the Vestal Virgins. Um, but here we have to be careful about the use of the word virgin and what it might've meant in Greece, as opposed to what it means now. Um, but Vesta um, was a priestess. And uh, the high priestess of, you know, and, and, but remember that in, in that period of time, many priestesses were conducting rites of healing that were called um, the, the initiation into the Eleusian mysteries. And these were sexual in nature. And, and, and the deal is, is that no one could come, no man could come and ask for or demand these rights. They had to be offered. And here we have the real meaning of the word virgin, which really is less about never having had sex than it is about the ability to say no. It's that discriminatory process of um, Vesta as a priestess was not property, was not owned by a man. And in fact, um, the prostitutes were considered virgins too, because they were not pro- they were not property. You could they could say no, uh, but but Vesta had this whole piece of service, had this whole piece of maintaining the ha- um, the fire, the hearth, or the the um, not the hearth, but the 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 fire of illumination, the spirit. And Vesta was that was was in service. But then we have asteroids like Eris, who was the lover. And, um, and, and Chiron, which many people say is like an asteroid, who is either the mentor teacher or the healer. Um, and Chiriclo, who was also related to Chiron and the caretaker. Um, but we have other asteroids like Psyche. 
um, which has to do with our soul, or or Hygieia, which has to do with healing. And in fact, any of these asteroids, if they are in strong aspect to a natal planet, have resonance in your chart. It doesn't mean that every asteroid is going to resonate strongly in every chart. But even just calculating four or a half a dozen or so asteroids and seeing which ones might be yours, might be relatable in your chart, that then would encourage, that that could encourage you to learn more about that asteroid so you can see how that influences you. By the same token, asteroids transit just like planets, even though their orbits are circular, they also have retrograde motion and their orbits vary very greatly from one to another. Um, But you can actually calculate um, a transiting asteroid to your natal planet, um, or in fact, transiting planets to your natal asteroids. And, you know, and as far as interpretation, um, on Foundations Level 2, we actually had one, one class um, that w- one lesson that was on the asteroids where we, you know, dug a little bit deeper into these. And in fact, we had a separate class on the centaurs. Um, but, but the point here is that using these, I mean, if one is going to use the planets, one actually can use asteroids and one can pick and choose. And in fact, even going down through a list of the names of a planet, if one strikes you as a name that feels like it might be strong, Find out where that planet is in your chart, look it up, and learn about it. Mm. Okay, so if you, if you have a strong aspect to an asteroid in your chart, that's something to look into. If you have an asteroid transiting something in your chart and activating certain parts of your chart, and this may seem arbitrary, but there's a magic in it, if there's one that you're just pulled to, or drawn to, and you want to know more, look at what it's doing in your chart, because probably it's it has significance for you. I would say all of that's true. The one caveat I would say that if you're looking at transiting asteroids, the question becomes, which ones do you look at? Because right. you can't just say, give me all the aspect to, you know, to, you know, five or, you know, or a thousand asteroids, you'd just be overwhelmed in data. Mm-hmm. Okay, and one probably not quick question, but I'll see. Let's see if you can do it quickly. Um, do you think the planets and asteroids have the spirit of the goddesses and gods, or do they just have matching descriptions? To, like, I guess it's it's really around the naming convention. Why are they named these things? And this is from Miriam. Again, they began being named after feminine goddesses but uh or feminine names uh but that got lost and again there there are you know there are um asteroids um i'm looking at a list of the a's i mean this is a list of twenty six thousand asteroids but i'm seeing that there is an asteroid called akashi there's an asteroid called anu there's an asteroid called Agni, which is um, fire, I think, in, in Sanskrit. Um, there is, uh, I, I mean, there are, there are many English words also, but there's an asteroid called Adelaide. So if I lived in Adelaide, you know, in, in Australia, 
I'd probably want to know where Adelaide was in my chart. There's an asteroid called Adirondack. Again, I'm just looking at a list of the A's just to give you an idea of how many there mm. are. But if I lived in upstate New York, I, I'd be interested. Or if I was going on a vacation, you know, to Lake George or Lake Champlain up in the, you know, in the vacation area of New York State, I'd do, where, where's the asteroid, you know, um, Adirondack? Why am I relating to that? Um, and so the, the list goes on and on. Um, Astrodienst, I think, has I don't even know how many thousands of asteroids. And you can go down the list and you can check which ones you want to, you know, you, which ones you want to explore. Um, and and but the list is like um, over overwhelming. Um, it it just you, you know like it's it's just um, yeah. I mean. Um, and and Astrodienst or Astro.com, I think it lets you pick 10 objects at a time. Um, um, but uh, there's, there is, uh, how many do they have? Um, they, yeah, they have, they have um, 26 separate lists. Um, um, it's just, it's just, it's crazy how many. So yeah, um, yeah, picking them is an interesting thing um, for people who don't have, um, you know, high-end astrology software. Um, Astrodienst is certainly an online place where you can get this information easily. Hmm. Okay, and if if you're new to astrology and this is super overwhelming, you can do great readings without these things, without including them at all. You can just start with the seven and then add the outer planets and then decide if you want to start dabbling with some of these asteroids. Rick is saying just like start to look into one or two or just start to play around with it. And I think that's really important. I mean, you've you've been an astrologer for a lot of decades. And my guess is for the first many, many, many years, you probably barely use these at all. Did you? Well, I, I didn't even know that they existed until probably probably the um, mid seventies when I came across Michael Erlewine's book, but it really wasn't until the um, early mid eighties when I got Demetri George's book that I realized, you know, that, but I, but when I read that book and I did use those four asteroid, the goddesses, and again, asteroids kind of have been part of the process of the feminization. Look, there are, um, of the seven visible planets, um, five male, two female. It's not fair. You know, we have the moon and, um, and Venus and all the rest are guys. You know, you add Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto, there are three more guys. <laughs> Although I think that there, a, a case could be made that Neptune, although, you know, as, as, as we know, um, Neptune um, um, actually raped Medusa, um, which is the origin of that um, that story. Their their offspring was Pegasus, and so we know Neptune was was a dude, <laughs> and we know that um, that you know that that he was a god. But Neptune, even and that was from the Greeks' perspective, but in modern perspective, I think Neptune is a um, definitely, you know, in, um, is gender ambiguous that Neptune certainly, you know, as the higher octave of Venus even um, has a feminine sense to it. But here's the deal. All of a sudden there was Pallas Juno, 
um, Ceres and Vesta, and there were four more girls, <laughs> girls <laughs> in the mix. They were yeah. goddesses. They weren't just normal women. Maybe all women are goddesses. But the point is that um, in talking with Demetra about this, um, what happened was that she, her work began to become more widely known outside of astrology than inside of the community of astrology because of the um, wave of, of feminism that was growing through the 80s and 90s and early 2000s that, that people who were not even into astrology, you know, um, were attracted to a book called Asteroid Goddesses. And, and all of a sudden, there was another whole wave of energy around this that was also um, part of astrology spreading out into, you know, a wider, a wider um, audience, very right. important concept. Okay. Well, this is kind of reminding me of some of the things we've talked about recently, where sometimes people get really attached to one thing and saying, this is the one to use and here's why. And this is, you've really just kind of obliterated that and said- The hammer, the hammer sees a world of nails. Yes, exactly. So it's it, using what works for you is great, but being attached to that and saying, this is the only thing that works or this is the best thing that works. That's where it's like, well, there's a lot of different options here. There is. However, having said that, I think that um, knowing where um, the four asteroid goddesses are, maybe even adding Hygieia. Um, there are a few others that 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 others you know programs have at the top of their list. Um, but I think that they're important. But remember, there are so many points out there. I mean, we're not going into a discussion right now, you know, of the nodes um, or of Lilith. But incidentally. Um, most people, when they talk about Lilith these days, they're talking about the um, the uh, let me get this right the um, the apogee of the moon is Lilith. It's a real point. In other words, the moon's orbit around the Earth is not a circle; it's an ellipse. What that and and in mathematics, a circle has a center, but an ellipse has two centers. And what that means is you can take two thumbtacks and put them into a piece of wood and then put a piece of string around that with both thumbtacks on the inside and then put a pen inside the string. And what it makes is an ellipse because an ellipse has two centers. Mm. Well, when you're standing in one of the center, looking at the point that's farthest away, that's the apogee, the apogee is away from the earth. You're basically looking through the other center. And what people, when people use Lilith or, or Black Moon Lilith or Dark Moon Lilith, or most people are using the point at which the moon would be if it was at its apogee. My point here is that Lilith is a real mathematically, mathematically calculatable point. There's nothing imaginary to it, just wow. like there's nothing imaginary to the ascendant, but you can't see it. There's right. nothing imaginary about the nodes. You can't see it. Right. And so, but but there is also an asteroid named Lilith. Ah, that's confusing. <laughs> yeah. And many people use that 
also. So, um, so again, there's lots of things out there. The universe is, you know, I, I'm always uh, uh, reminiscing about the, the Star Wars bar. You know, in the early Star Wars movie where there was a bar with every kind of crazy creature you could possibly imagine. That's what's out there. Mm. You know, we like to think it's clean. You know, even <laughs> even just the, many people just track the new moons and full moons. They know their sun and their moon in their chart. Maybe they're ascendant. That's it. You know, and then when they start digging in deeper, they begin to realize, well, geez, their mercury is really important. And so is this and so is that. And, and again, I would encourage any astrologer who knows their chart to at least learn where their four asteroid goddesses are, because that's an easy place to start. Um, and again, that's, you know, um, Ceres, the nurturer, um, uh, Pallas, the warrior, um, Vesta, the servant or the priestess, um, and Juno, um, the wife. And uh, and the, my How little one word. Why, why isn't she the queen? Why is she the wife? Well, because she. Well, she. Why is she the wife? Because she's she, because she is queen because she's the wife of Jupe, of the king. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Yeah. No. <laughs> but 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 you might actually say uh, all women are goddesses and all men are gods. If that's the case, then your Juno is your queen, <laughs> you know, but, it, oh, but right. it's the, but it's her role. The role of her as queen was, was, was also wife. Got it. Okay. And, and it's not just wife. It was lo loyal, loyal wife, loyal, to a, loyal, like, loyal, yeah. loyal wife to a, to a guy that some wives would consider an asshole and would have divorced them, you know, on goat number two. <laughs> <laughs> Goat number one. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. All right. So also, would you, would you include Chiron and Eris? Well, I, I would say these are things that we would want to know so about. In our, it, right? yeah. yeah. And again, there are those people who would call me out and go, well, they're not asteroids. Asteroids have to be between Mars and Jupiter. And they're right. But I can't separate out from an astrological perspective those things right. that are not quite planets. Some of them are now considered to be minor planets, but as Pluto is considered to be a minor planet, Pluto, Eris, Juno, and Ceres all have the same astronomical standing now. The four of them are all considered to be a minor planet, sometimes referred to as Plutoids. But, you know, Pluto and Chiron and the four asteroids um, that we just named, they're basically the placeholders for an entire universe of stuff. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, thank you. I mean, that, that was, that was very comprehensive. I think it puts us all in a good perspective when it comes to learning about these things, whether or not you want to go down the rabbit holes. And then if there are ones, again, if there are ones that call you there's probably a reason for that. There is a significance. And if one, if you're sitting to have a reading with someone and something stands out, then that's also worth looking into. Yeah, yes. but not and, and, and for the record, um, in uh, August astrology um, chart reading extravaganza month, we will not use asteroids on every chart. 
but I will use I, I I will do some charts where we kind of deep dive either into an asteroid or asteroids or into Eris or into um, the centaurs. So that will be part of it. But that doesn't mean that every astrologer should use all these points on every chart they do. Although I do know astrologers who calculate eight centaurs and about 20 asteroids on every chart they do. And of course, you can actually, if you have the list, you can just go down and scan a list um, in, in that is sorted by Zodiac and going, oh, this is where that person's son is. Look at that's lined up with the person's son. So mm. there are tools that would allow us to pick which ones we might want to use. Um, mm. But it, yeah, it can be overwhelming. It'll be very fun and interesting to see which ones you choose to look at, why, and in what circumstances. So that'll be part of, of watching you read a chart. It's like, oh, yeah. you're gonna, and you'll explain to us why you're looking at someone's heiress or why you're looking at Chiron or why you're looking at Juno in this particular situation. Yeah. And I also should, should add here one other thing. And that is, although I use asteroids, some, um, I would not consider myself the expert. I mean, I've even taught asteroids, but there are people who follow asteroids with a much higher level of interest and experience, more experience than I have. So mm-hmm. I'm just throwing that out there that, that there are people out there that one could, if one wanted to pursue this, you know, really, really deeply, there are people who teach courses in using asteroids and or centaurs. Um, yeah. Right. Okay. Fabulous. Thank you, Rick, for that amazing download. Thanks to all of you for being here. If you have not yet joined the extravaganza that we're having in August, the chart reading extravaganza, you can do that now. It's astrologyhub.com slash extravaganza. Rick's going to be doing live chart reading uh, for several very lucky students for you to witness and learn from. And you'll get to see the responses that the person, the student has, and just see the whole entire process as if you're sort of, someone said they'd like to be a fly on the wall of that reading that Demetra did for you years ago. Um, you'll get to be a fly on the wall for the readings that Rick's going to do for these students. And I, I, I wish I had. Well, you're going to huh? be more than fly because you, well, because yeah. Rick's going to know that you're there. So he's going to be actually talking to you about it. I wish I had a recording of that reading. I mean, wow. I have a very clear mental imprint, but... Um, uh, and someone, um, 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 asked, uh, when did Chiron come into the picture? I'm just glancing at the chat box for the first time. Um, Chiron was discovered in 1977 and, um, uh, Antero Ali, who wrote a book called Astrologic back 20 plus years ago, um, pointed out that Chiron, again, we think we, so many people go Chiron, the wounded healer. Chiron was way wider than the, the, the archetype has a way wider cut than just wounded healer. Chiron is also a maverick, mm. you know, at just his orbit is, you know, it comes inside of, of Saturn and then out to, um, to Uranus and, and Antero Ali um, that, you know, we know that planets are discovered um, around the time that something in our consciousness, we talked about this at the very beginning, 
you know, that Uranus was discovered around the time of the French and American revolutions. This was like a, a radical breakthrough. And, and Neptune was discovered at the height of this, or the, the, the beginning of the steam engine and that whole age and, 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 and the um, beginning of, of um, psychic mediums and theosophy and, and, and animal magnetism and hypno all those kinds of things, hypnosis. And Pluto, of course, came into being at the rise of mass fascism. You know, you know, in, in, in and Chiron Antero pointed out was discovered in 1977, the year of the Sex Pistols. No, it's it's actually not meant to be funny because this was the. I mean, we're talking punk, we're talking maverick, we're talking a breaking mm. out of the bounds of of what one conceived of as this is beautiful. No, listen to this. You know, I mean, it it really changed things. And so it's and so the person who asked when did Chiron come into the picture, um, it was then, and people jumped onto that bandwagon of try. Uh, what happens is Chiron was discovered, and Ephemeris was printed. And and a, a hundred astrologers around began doing charts and looking at it and coming to the you know realization of this is what it meant. Wow, fascinating. Okay, thanks, Rick, so much. Thanks to all of you for being here. Looking forward to spending August with you in the chart reading extravaganza. That's astrologyhub.com/slash/extravaganza, and have fun exploring those asteroids and centaurs and. Kuiper Belt friends. <laughs> and we'll see you August. next and we'll see you next week for the August forecast. Yes, next week. Same time, same place. The last cosmic connection before we go into the chart reading month. All right, everybody, thank you so much. We'll see you soon. Thank you, Rick. Take care, everyone. Hi, I'm Rick Levine, and I'm so excited to be offering you the chance to study with me during our live chart reading practice month here at Astrology Hub. This course consists of four live sessions, each two hours long, where I'm going to be looking at a handful of students' charts live and demonstrating how to read a birth chart while actually receiving feedback from the designated clients in real time. This is astrology in action. This is where the rubber meets the road and you'll be right there with me as I navigate the unique dynamics of these individuals' charts. The sessions will be streaming live every Thursday afternoon in August at 5 p.m. Pacific, that's 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and you can enroll now at astrologyhub.com slash charts. Oh, and by the way, you'll have the opportunity to submit your chart data for consideration to be one of those that will be read live during the sessions. Again, that's astrologyhub.com slash charts. I hope to see you there.